Good evening. So this past week I read an article that fit right into our readings this weekend about a woman who saw her life flash before her eyes after a huge fall over a cliff that she actually survived. We call this a near-death experience, if you will. I found dozens of articles after that detailed death via heart attacks or car accidents or drownings and war and these people who lived through that near-death experience to tell about it. You know, I had a near-death experience once when I was a seminarian. You know, I try my best to be holy, but people always ruin it for me. Has that ever happened to you? For example, my parents, they bought a 65-acre farm. They knew nothing about farming. My dad, a pharmacist and a commercial airline pilot, thought it would be fun. And it was about as fun as a root canal. Most of us hated the farm because my dad was cheap, frankly. Our equipment was old, and during those years, we rotated from flooding rains one year to droughts the next year and left my father impossibly grumpy. One fall, my mother called me at the seminary and asked me to come home and haul grain to the co-op. My dad was behind again. And I was thoroughly annoyed because it was fall break. All the seminarians were relaxing. Why couldn't we just once be like normal people, I said to myself. And I named my assigned tractor when I got home Hazel, because it was so old. You know, built roughly maybe in the 15th century. No amenities whatsoever. Think Fred Flintstone, and that was Hazel. Meanwhile, my brother snagged the nice tractor with a cab and heat and a radio. My dad mapped out our route to the co-op and back that included a drive over a train track down a hill and across Highway 67, and, he t and we were to race through them both, he said. Sounds like a perfectly safe plan, as a medieval tractor held by rust was my vehicle. When I got to the railroad, I did what my dad said. I looked to the left, I looked to the right, and I went for it. The only problem was, as I started onto the tracks, all of a sudden, the railroad gate dropped down right in front of me, right on the tractor's hood. Right at my eye level, the red lights started flashing. In addition to the bells, I heard death, death, death. Suddenly, everything went into slow motion. First, I prayed. No, I didn't. I cussed and screamed like a drunken sailor. I climbed on the hood and tried to pull the gate up. Not a chance. Believe it or not, I wasn't tall enough to do that. And I decided to back up, but Hazel died and refused to restart. And not a single person, not a single person helped me, including my brother, who just stared at me like I was an idiot on his nice tractor. I think he was vying for my inheritance is what he was doing. Instantly, I started to weigh what would be worse, just dying or facing my father if I totaled his tractor. But it was too late. The engineer was blaring his horn and was waving me back. Get back, he kept saying. Oh, really, I thought. That's exactly, this is exactly where I want to be on a live train track facing my near death. Before that moment, I always wondered how anybody, anybody could be so stupid as to die on a train track. But it all happened so fast. I was paralyzed in my near-death experience. And thankfully, the train was on the second of two tracks, or you'd have a different pastor, frankly. And it was at that near-death moment that I retired from farming once and for all. I mean, I could have died for seed corn, for crying out loud, on, on fall break, no less. 
Today's gospel is filled with near-death experiences and signs of the end times. Wars and famines and dreadful signs and omens. Clearly, St. Luke is pointing to the great day when Jesus will return, bring this world to an end, and establish the kingdom of God. But it would be a mistake to limit the meaning of today's gospel to the great one event at the end of time. For the truth is, our lives, in our lives, we experience moments when our worlds come to an end, perhaps on a train track, track or near death, but there's also moments of passage and change. When one world ends and another begins, these moments can be joyful, they can be sad, they can be terrifying and frightening, but many times they're all the above. When you commit yourself to another person in marriage, for example, or when you give new birth to a son or a daughter, your world changes. There are new opportunities and new responsibilities. And very soon you can't even remember the way things used to be. When you're told that you no longer have a job, when you receive a negative medical diagnosis, when the person you love dies, one world ends and a new one begins. Car accidents change our world. As much as we would like sometimes, we just can't go back. When you're the youngest child leaves for college, when you hold your grandchild in your arms for the first time, when you enter into retirement, your world changes and you must change with it. In all of these rites of passage, in all of these changes, even when you're joyful, there's always fear and trepidation that is involved. Will I be a parent that meets my child's needs? How will it be living without my children under my roof? How will I face the holidays without the person that I love? How will I fare with chemotherapy or other treatments? How do we cope when our world changes, sometimes even catastrophically? Today's gospel guides us. Jesus, in the very last nine, says, in the context of all of this trial and trepidation, by your perseverance, you will save your lives. He's saying that when we enter a new world, we must be willing and pray for perseverance. We define perseverance in a lot of different ways, but the understanding that I'm suggesting is one which is most common and practical. It's an understanding that I hear over and over again in hospital rooms, but also wedding receptions, at funerals, and also baptismal parties. That is, perseverance is living one day at a time. Perseverance is refusing to be overwhelmed by all the things that we don't quite understand and can't control in the new world in which we find ourselves because we are men and women of faith. Perseverance is choosing to take the next step as best we can and to take, keep taking steps until we end up where God wills us to be in this life, but also in the next. This understanding of perseverance can seem foolish to some. They ask, how can you take a step and be sure that you're going the right way? How do you know that you will take one step that will lead you to where you need to be? How can you live one day at a time? Who's planning for the months and years ahead? They're good questions, really. They make a certain amount of sense, most especially 
when we're living our lives in isolation. But Christians are called to have a different perspective in life. We believe that God is living our lives with us, that God is in fact guiding us. It is, that, it is what we will meditate on during Advent and Christmas in a few weeks, that God is with us. We also live in the community of the church, which reminds us that we are never truly alone. We believe that we will take one step, and that step will lead to another one, and that God is guiding us in the right direction, or his will will not be thwarted by a misstep when we are prayerful about our lives. We believe that when we live one day at a time, the day that we live is connected to future days which God is planning for our good and the salvation of our souls. With faith, we have the freedom to take the next step then, to live this day and to leave the rest to God. Or we can be frightened and cynical about the future or angry or fret about the end of time that we cannot change or we cannot know the day or the hour. So let us pray for perseverance in taking the next step to whatever God is, uh, to whatever we find there. Let us believe that God is with us and that he will lead us on and that all will be well in this life as we prepare for the next life as we place our trust in him.